Hello and welcome to Self Studies, a podcast that explores how identity can inform a person's lived experiences and mental health. I'm Laura Duper, and today I'll be talking with Donald Schmoll about LGBTQIA identity, lingering stigma from the 1980s AIDS epidemic, and learning to love yourself. I hope that you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. My name is Don Schmoll. My pronouns are he, him, his. I'm a therapist. I'm 65 years old, and I'm currently contracted with Alma. Amazing. Well, we're so happy to have you. I just wanted to ask you to begin with, would you mind just telling us a bit about how you got to where you are now as a therapist? Sure. Well, I got to be where I am now by living for 65 years, which, <laughs> which, which is somewhat of an accomplishment given that almost 40 years ago, I was diagnosed with HIV. Um, so I count myself lucky to be here. But as a therapist, I got here by living through four very distinct areas of my life. One is childhood. The next is coming to New York as as a young man, going through a career in advertising and marketing, and now ultimately winding up where I am as a therapist, which probably I should have been all along. So it's been a journey. And what made me become a therapist ultimately, and why I say I should have been one all along, is because I lived in a sea of gray suits. And ultimately, you have to do something that's fulfilling for you mm-hmm. and is validating yourself internally. And living in a sea of suits, you get a lot of external validation. But there was one day when I woke up and just saw this sea of suits metaphorically and decided it was soul sucking Mm. and was not nourishing at all and not very rewarding except for in a financial way. And I just decided I wanted to do something that would give my life more meaning. And that's why I'm a therapist. And also having gone through what I went through My belief was that if I lended a hand and could help somebody through the pitfalls of what I went through and maybe help their life be a little bit easier, it would give me a lot of satisfaction and, you know, inform the rest of my life. It's amazing that you came to that realization and that you made a change. That's a really hard thing to do when you're in a comfortable spot, especially financially, I'm sure. Yeah, it was hard, but I would do it again in a heartbeat because what I do now is so rewarding and fulfilling. I'm so glad. And I'm sure all of your clients are so glad that you made this change. What is kind of your particular area of focus? Do you have a certain client set that you tend to see more or that you like to see more that you prefer? My practice right now is primarily members of the LGBTQ community, largely young men who are navigating, you know, what it means to be part of the community. I also have several transsexual members of the community Mostly my clients identify as being queer, queer affirming, gay, lesbian, 
that's mostly who my clients are. And they suffer from a variety of things. Usually it's anxiety, bipolar, symptoms of PTSD from growing up and having the lives they've had. So it's a, it's a nice assortment of clients within the queer community that usually have problems associated with their identity or growing up the way they did. Do you see a particular age demographic or do you see kind of all, all across the board? I would say it's all across the board yeah. uh, from 20 to 50. You're talking about, of course, each individual story is unique, but you're seeing a lot of the reason for coming to therapy regarding identity. And so I'm curious about that as that's, you know, really what we're kind of exploring in this podcast series is how our identity affects our mental health. And so I'm curious as you see, you know, people from in their 20s to people in their 50s and all all in between and older and younger than that, how, how do you see the relationship to identity shift over time? Well, I begin by saying, and it's so funny because now uh, Oprah has a book on her tour. And all along for years, I always tell my clients, not what's wrong with you, but what happened to you. Mm -hmm. And that's what I ask because fundamentally, most of my clients have nothing wrong with them. They're just Mm -hmm. reacting to what happened to them. So on a very fundamental level, I don't believe there's something wrong with them. Mm -hmm. I believe their background was wrong. I believe what happened to them was wrong. I think that members of the community still have some universal challenges that were present when I was young, and that is homophobia, internalized homophobia, Mm -hmm. homophobia within the queer community, a lack of support when you're young, a lack of meaningful role models that are accessible, self-doubt, self-disparagement, anxiety, all the things resulting from not having grown up with the proper support. So I think some of the things remain universal. And frankly, sometimes I'm a little surprised that as much as things have changed, things have remained the same for those growing up gay who identify as queer, gay, or a member of the community. That's such an important distinction that you make, that there's not something wrong with you, but things have happened to you. And do you find that that is a difficult thing for your clients to recognize? I think it's liberating to mm-hmm. them because mm-hmm. so many of my clients come in really believing that something is fundamentally wrong with you. Mm -hmm. And if you're held captive in a society that's not welcoming or supportive, that is constantly giving you messages, either subliminal messages or overt messaging that you're wrong, that the church is telling you you're wrong. Most of the spiritual communities, unless they're progressive, are telling you you're flawed. I think you start believing that something is wrong with you, mm-hmm. coupled with the fact that so many of their families don't welcome and celebrate their identity as being gay. So in school, the bullying, it starts at a young level. Then parents choose mostly to deny or think they'll grow out of it. And it doesn't work that way. And, you know, after a while, you develop 
you know, Stockholm syndrome, where you start believing what you're told. And that's what's so dangerous. Yeah, that completely makes sense. I know that such such a huge part of being in this community or identifying in this way, there can be a big emphasis on the coming out process, uh, right? And so, and I know that that's, of course, different for every individual. And so I know that you can't talk extremely broadly about it, but I am curious about how you see that affecting a person's identity and as they are, you know, quote unquote, in the closet and then quote unquote, coming out and how that process is, that is, that is unique to, to this community in so many ways, you know, you wouldn't come out as heterosexual or any kind of dominant identity. How do you see that process affecting your clients? Yeah, it still is a difficult process for most of my clients. I have many clients who are in their 20s, very smart, very intellectual, very successful in their professional life, still fearful of coming out. Mm -hmm. And it's this perceived loss that when somebody discovers that they're gay, they're going to be less than, or they're going to be viewed in a less than favorable light, or they're going to lose the support of their parents, which generally doesn't happen. I know it happens a lot to some, you know, to, to some communities. So it's the fear of coming out, how their life is going to change, how they're going to be perceived. And if I tell my clients, if you think you're less than, you're going to be perceived as less than, because most of it is not real. It's coming from, not from the outside, it's coming from within. So if they believe what they're told, that they're less than, they're going to see that in everybody's face. If they project outwardly an image of strength and comfort, that's how they're going to be perceived. And fortunately, I didn't have to come out because at the age of five, I remember something happened. I went to the doctor with my mom. She had to go to the doctor. My brothers were at school and I was still not in kindergarten yet. And I was dressed as a fairy princess going with my mother to the doctor. And I remember the doctor saying to my mother, Mrs. Schmoll, what are you doing? And she said, what do you mean? Look at how he's dressed. A little boy doesn't dress that way. What is wrong with him? And my mother looked at the doctor and she said, oh, he has an imagination. And <laughs> I'll never forget that because never once was anything having to do with gender expression, gender identity. It wasn't a problem for my parents. And you're talking about first generation American German who are usually very strict, but they knew, and fortunately they were smart enough to support it. So I didn't have to come out. But those who live in families where it's wrong, it's disparaged, it's believed to be less than, it's not what your parents wanted you to be. My parents didn't want me to be gay just because of the fact they said you might have a harder life. But when they realized I was gay, they supported it and said, well, we'll be with you when you have these hard times. And they were. So that's, uh, I feel that it's my role in therapy to sort of do new parenting, 
and letting my clients know that they're okay and that they're loved and they're accepted. And not only that, that they should celebrate their identity. Wow, that's a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that. I'm curious how you how you feel because in seeing the perceptions at large kind of change over time, and you alluded to this a bit earlier in that, and it's amazing to hear that story of you at age five, which is amazing. And and of course we've we've seen a lot more of a generally accepting a perception over time in our culture at large, but how have you seen it over time? Do you feel like that has impacted this more kind of generally accepting mentality around this community has changed your clients' experiences? Or do you feel like it really has to do with the people who are immediately around them and what their acceptance level is? Well, I do believe that acceptance has generally increased. However, I would say the opposition has become more vocal and it's become politicized to the extent where you can't read anything today. You know, we just saw that the president reinstated rights for the transgender community. That shouldn't even be a question, Mm -hmm. but it has been. And it's been in the news and it reinforces a perception that there's something wrong with being transgender, being a part of this community. So I will say yes, Generally, there's more acceptance just because people are more informed than they were years ago. But those who aren't informed and those who have their own agenda and have politicized people's identities, sexual identities, gender identities, they've made it equally as bad. And I think a lot of my clients still struggle with, is it okay to be gay? You have no choice. It's not okay to not be okay with it. You've got to really learn how to celebrate. And I also tell my clients, gay does not define you. Mm. You define what it is to be gay. And there's as many different types of people in our community as there are in the heterosexual community. And that defining factor of who you want to love or who you want to have sex with is nobody's business but your own. And that it's become so politicized, even more so than it was. In my day, it just wasn't talked about. You had an underlying suspicion that people weren't going to be happy with it. Now there's protests against the community that are as strong as they ever have been, if not stronger due to the politics that's going on in this country. So I think it's important to have people like myself who are supportive and don't believe there's anything wrong with it. And we'll fight tooth and nail against these, these remaining vigilantes who unfortunately are still loud and powerful. Yeah, you make such a good point with We're seeing politics really just infiltrate all of these human rights issues, which is so confounding. And I guess that's my naivete saying that. I guess maybe I shouldn't be surprised by it, but it is so disappointing and and just so painful to see these human rights being politicized. And like you said, it should not even be a question, but unfortunately, are. And I am also interested in what you said about 
how when you grew up, it just was not, it was not talked about. It was more of a, a hidden thing. And it was, and as much as we want to talk about the eighties and the culture of, um, that was, was surrounding the AIDS epidemic. And, you know, there's so many layers to that, that I want to give you space to talk about if you, if you would like to have or much you'd like to share. And then I am just curious within that, how you've seen it going from this secret thing that maybe, you know, you had suspicions about and people kind of kept completely swept under the rug as much as possible to now being this thing that is in the is in politics in every realm and is being actively fought about and is being you know like you said the opposition is louder than than ever because before it was just it was a a general opposition that was and it, that silenced things a little bit more and now it's more of a war it seems yes well i have to say even during the height of the aids epidemic which you know, you would walk up the avenue, 8th Avenue, and if you didn't see somebody, you would just assume they had died. Going to funerals every week of very good friends. I still don't even believe that happened. I, mm. I am still traumatized by it. And I don't think that the advances in AIDS was due any to, to any benevolence toward the gay community. I think it only became popular once Ryan White, an uh, innocent victim of mm -hmm. AIDS, got mm -hmm. AIDS. We were all guilty as sin. We were out having sex and we were villainized and demonized. And it wasn't being irresponsible. Nobody thought a virus was going to come and kill everybody or kill large parts of the population. So, but it really wasn't due to any public benevolence. It became acceptable because innocent victims were dying. And Rock Hudson thought, you know, everybody thought he was the image of a straight man. And even though it came out that he was gay, people just had this preconceived notion that he shouldn't be getting this. We have to do something to fund it. Elizabeth mm -hmm. Taylor made it popular to fund. But, and she was, of course, very devoted to gay men. Mm -hmm. But is it any easier now? No, I don't. I have clients who are HIV positive and that's the last thing they'll reveal. And it's usually a doorknob type of therapy. And I say, what? Mm -hmm. And I say, say it loudly. There's no shame in it. If you had cancer, you would say you have cancer. It's a virus, not a judgment. And I think still what, what I am afraid of is with PrEP, and PEP, it makes it very easy for people to go back to a level of not being responsible for their own health because there still are STDs that, that if you get them enough, they can weaken your immune system. I think AIDS is almost forgotten by a younger generation who knew it happened, but the impact of it is not there. I saw the impact. It could have killed me. I was a sitting duck. And for, for the grace of God, I had angels watching over me and I did not succumb to it, even though my best friends, my roommates all passed away. So it's still a formidable force within the gay community. It's a source of shame, continues to be. It's a fear. 
But I think it's becoming less of a fear. And therefore, behavior is changing in a way that does not promote necessarily the best of health outcomes. And also, when during the height of the AIDS epidemic, most of the people felt as though they deserved it. A lot of people ultimately thought it was a judgment and that, you know, society won. Their pronouncement that gay is evil was proven true. Mm -hmm. So, you know, but it wasn't really as much a, a judgment of HIV, AIDS, as it was of being gay. And there's still that in other forms, even though HIV and AIDS is under control, except within some of the Latin communities, especially Latina communities, where it still spreads because there's a silence about it. It's still a, a big force out there. So as much as things have changed, again, they remain the same. And I want to try to keep people to the best of my ability from experiencing that trauma that was the 80s. Gosh, thank you for for sharing that. It is just so devastating and and so hard for me to even have any kind of response to what that must have been like and again, like you said, so unfathomable for generations the younger generations now of kind of knowing it happened but not experiencing the emotional viscerality of of that and um i i remember when when we first learned about covid-19 they i listened to a uh a journalist talk about how the aids epidemic was not taken seriously until like you said rock hudson somebody innocent was was um affected and so i'm thinking about you know that people thought that might be tom hanks when tom hanks got covid-19 and it's interesting to see how our collective understanding of just wanting to to place these labels of good and bad and and black and white sin and pure or whatever on on these identities um there's so many layers to that but i'm i'm just reflecting on how devastating that must have been when you were already seeing it consume your community and your and you know love. you know in fact more than covid black lives matter movement is so synonymous with act up and the movement to find a cure for HIV or deal with it. Because as Larry Kramer used to say, we're fighting for our lives. We had bullseyes on our back, just like many young black men have bullseyes on their back. Where COVID comes into it is, it's interesting, who were the populations mostly affected by it? The black community, Latino communities, communities that a lot of people feel don't matter. It doesn't matter to be quick in your response because mm -hmm. it's affecting people in the poorer communities, not yeah. bad communities, poorer communities, as mm -hmm. if money and your skin color is what makes you a human being. And it's the same thing with HIV AIDS. We weren't human beings. We were faggots. We were this uh, dispensable 
in fact, even it would be a good thing if there, if we weren't around. Mm -hmm. So I think that that applies to, to COVID that yes, look at the communities that are being destroyed by it. They're dispensable or seemingly dispensable. If Park Avenue or Madison Avenue was dying, you can bet that a vaccine would have happened even faster. You're just articulating this so well, and it's such a, uh, so many complex issues that really, you know, just seeing the commonality here of what we value and who, who we value in our society. And I'm curious, as you were experiencing the epidemic in, in the 80s, and as you were experiencing yourself as a part of this community, how did that impact and whatever you want to share, of course, of your own story, but even the people around you, how is that impacting your mental health? As you were saying, you know, we had a target on our back. We thought we deserved it because of what people were saying that we were dispensable. How were you seeing that impact the mental health of the LGBTQ community and affecting the community as it related to each other? Were you able to connect? Was it making things want to be more secret? Were you wanting to hide it more? You know, how did that, how did that impact at that time? I think it brought the community together in a very healthy way. And listen, gay men at the time and the lesbian community were two distinct communities mm -hmm. and they didn't really get along with each other and they made mm -hmm. fun of each other many times. But when push came to shove, who was it that was largely taking care of the gay men who were dying? It was primarily lesbian nurses, mm -hmm. transgendered nurses, who would mm -hmm. have the compassion to deal with gay men. And that's what brought, I think AIDS is one of the things that brought the community so close together and galvanized it. It was a lot of little separate communities before. The AIDS epidemic did much in the way of fortifying this community and making it a larger force. As far as depression, and yes, of course, everybody was depressed. I went through a major depression that I had to get significant help for. I was thrown out of my apartment by my lover of seven years because he thought I was positive. He found out I was positive subsequently, but put on the street. It was one of those stories where you're put on the street like a piece of garbage. In the end, it reinforced my value. It didn't take it away from me because fortunately I had very good friends and a community that supported me. But I think it's still the same. I have, I have many people, many clients who are HIV positive and I always tell them, that's not the problem with you because if it's a problem for the people you're with, then it's a bigger problem for you and walk away. And that's what you tell people. I've dealt with it. I don't care if you can deal with it or not. And that's what I kind of want to instill in my clients. Even when it comes to a gay identity, a queer identity, I always feel if it's a problem for anybody, it's a bigger problem for you. So walk mm -hmm. away. And that restores your power and your self-worth. It's interesting that you say that your clients who are HIV positive, there still seems to be a, a big sense of, of shame. Do you feel like that is just 
carried over from the 80s? Do you feel like, how do you feel like that has has changed over time, the perception around HIV? It depends on the community. Some people feel as though, oh, I can just take the HIV meds that are available. Mm -hmm. But they don't know what it means to have to take a pill every day. That is debilitating. And that gives you a sense that something's wrong with you. Then there's people who their parents are saying, I wish you weren't gay, you're going to get HIV. And that still mm-hmm. is a fear implanted as by parents. Of course, their parents are just worried and uninformed. Yeah. But it still swings like the sword of Damocles over you being gay. No, you being gay is not going to give you HIV mm-hmm. or AIDS. You being irresponsible will give you, you know, a virus will give you AIDS. I can't even yeah. say it's you acting responsibly. It's a virus. It's not the fact that you're gay, but they're so associated with each other that it's not being gay, but your parents are fearful because that's what gay means to them. Irresponsible behavior. You're Mm going to get AIDS. You're going to get something that is life-threatening to you. You're going to be ultimately miserable and lose your life over it. And AIDS is still a metaphor for the thing that swings over the gay community and keeps them from rising up to a, mm. to a healthier place. Even just thinking about some of your clients who are in their 20s, um, their parents lived through the 80s and, uh, you know, or at least their aunts and uncles or, you know, or maybe even in New York City or in big cities. And, and so there's a lot of, it seems like would be a lot of projection of what they experienced Onto. And their fear, yes. And what was mm-hmm. their fear back then? Yeah, it mm-hmm. still exists. It still exists. To the point where I told them some of my clients can't even say HIV in a normal voice. <laughs> they have to whisper it. What? Say it. <laughs> you have HIV. There's nothing wrong with you. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So and that's one thing I try to do too is, you know, it's all part of being a human being. Something happened to everybody. There's nothing wrong with most of us, given how we grew up and what we experience. And it's putting where you are in context of what you've been through. You have your intellect and you have your emotion. Many people have a high intellect, but they're emotionally insecure. You have to have your intellect and your emotional self in concert with each other because the difference between the two is anxiety. And if I can help people get their emotional maturity in line with their intellectual maturity, that's half my battle. Can you talk a little bit more about that and and how you see clients come in and how you see them present those kind of two selves in a sense? Sure, like I have one client I'm dealing with and he's a banker. And he goes to work every day and he says to me, I could never be gay at work. And I said, what do you mean you can't be gay at work? You are gay at work. You're just not out. (laughs) And he says, well, you know, they expect me to be, you know, straight acting. And I said, well, I don't even know what that means. You know, when people on Grindr put straight acting, you're on a gay hookup site. What Mm -hmm. does that mean? Straight acting. 
you know. Mm. So he knows this particular client knows he has the intellect to realize that who he is is who he is, but he doesn't have the emotional strength mm. to accept that nothing's going to happen to him, that he's as valuable. His feelings are not in connection with his intellect. He knows he's gay. He accepts it. He doesn't think he's straight. He's not delusional, but he doesn't want to announce it to anybody because he's fearful, which mm. is, you know, an emotion. He's scared. He feels that once he lets the toothpaste out of the tube, he can't put it back. Mm. And he's going to have to deal with a lot of things, repercussions that he's scared of, i.e. his family is going to think differently of him. His, and I say, so they are, then we have to deal with that and get your emotional maturity up even higher. But that's, right. that's sort of one of the things, it's fear, shame. And even within the gay community, the number of young men I have who say, oh, I could never date that person who's too good looking for me. And I say, oh my God, what does that say about yourself? What does that say about you? You know, tell me why that means you should or shouldn't date him, you know? Mm. Like intellectually, you know you're on par with him, but emotionally you feel less than. So that's what I try to do. I try to bring up that emotion, those insecurities that are emotional and up to your intellectual level. And if I can get them to act in concert, you have a wholly integrated person mm. who is healthier. Wow, that's such important work. And I don't think... I don't think we can see that so often on our own. It's hard to, to see where there's that mismatching of what I just think about myself. And it's just what I've thought about myself for so long that I don't have the tools to unpack what that means and, and to bring it up. A good indicator of it for me is when people come in and they tell a story and they do it with no emotion. They're telling a story mm. about themselves and they're not schizophrenic. They don't have symptoms of schizophrenia. They just don't display the emotion that is appropriate for the story they're telling me. And I always say to them, why are you unable to access your emotions and express them? And they all of a sudden stop. And I say, we're going to take the time to figure out what you feel about this because mm -hmm. you're so used to telling the story in a way that you feel protected mm -hmm. from your emotions. What will happen if you access your emotions? Your emotions just by what they are cannot be bigger than you. Mm -hmm. They have to be contained within you. So what is so scary? Hoover Dam is not going to break open if you have a mini breakdown or feel your emotions. They're not going to destroy you. They can't be bigger than you are. And I try to get people to feel comfortable in accessing and expressing their emotions. Mm -hmm. And that's a level of maturity that comes from doing it and feeling comfortable with it. That's amazing. I would like to spend some time in your therapy room. Um, I wonder too, as you were saying, you see in some of your clients, there's this, this kind of tiered, or layered coming out, if you will, like a, my, maybe my close friends know, maybe I'm on grinder, 
so those people know, even though they're strangers. But then I'm at my corporate job. I am not out, uh, quote unquote. So, and like you were making the distinction. Well, you are. You are you there. You are just you everywhere you are. I'm just curious how you see that doing to a person's interior world and mental health when there is this kind of compartmentalization of identity. Uh, I am this way here and I am this way here. And which one is me? Well, I think they know that both parts are them, Mm -hmm. but half of them feel they're not good enough that they have to hide it. And the fact that you have to hide part of your identity in your life and not be fully who you are and integrated and happy with it. I want to reach through this because we're on Zoom now. Sometimes I find myself wanting to reach through the screen and shaking them and saying, you are a beautiful, wonderful person. Mm -hmm. And I care less about what you do at a bank than who you are as a person. And you should celebrate all aspects of who you are. And you know what? Again, I say, if the bank doesn't like it, then you have a bigger problem with the bank than the bank has with you. Mm -hmm. And you've got to be yourself. You know, the phrase, be true to who you are. Mm -hmm. That's what being true to who you are. Otherwise, you're minimizing part of yourself. And you're not going to achieve everything that you could be or have as wonderful and meaningful a life as you would if you were fully integrated. Because you, just by the fact that you're doing that and splitting off your gay part from your professional part, what persona? I have a problem because I just feel it's going to keep you from being as healthy as you ultimately could be if you did integrate Mm -hmm. the two parts. It's sad. It's sad for me when I hear people saying, oh, we're not out of work. It's hello. It's 2021. (laughs) Uh, You know what? There might be blowback from it, but deal with it because you're, you're probably as a human being superior to a lot of people you work with in many ways as a human being and never let anybody say that anything about your sexuality is wrong, shameful, it should be celebrated. And I learned this probably late in life, much because of of having gone through HIV and seeing how it affects people and minimizes them. And I just want, that's why I want to lend a hand and help people become their best self by it being integrated and happy with who they are and not only happy, proud of who they are. I have so many questions as I, you're just giving so much important wisdom and I'm so thankful for your insight. I mean, you've, you've mentioned a few times, you know, this idea of, can we just start with human being first? Right. And then I keep going back to the example of, of the banker at work who isn't out and then, but really what does that, what does that mean? Because you're not, you're, you're the same person and you're, uh, and then the idea of straight acting, what does that mean within these, this context? Um, and I, I am just curious about how you see people embracing this as 
embracing a queer identity as kind of this all-consuming identity. Um, and I'm looking for the words to to kind of say this well, but do you find that it's helpful to kind of embrace it as this as an identity fully or to keep it as like I am a human with this is my sexual preference and my and my gender identity. And I know of course now we're talking about how LGBTQ is kind of all it's all these separate communities that have now kind of come together in some sense and and maybe that's just for our own collective understanding and kind of and that lumping together or but also you know there is a lot of support within that community how do you see just the experience of identity as I'm fully in this community and this is the community I embrace and want to be in compared to somebody who might say, I'm gay and that's my sexuality and that's separate from me. Does that make sense? Yeah. And also what I'll say about that is being gay is not about sex. It's about who you love. And yes, it has sexual implications, of course, but it's about who you love. And that is nobody's business but your own and I also think it's good advice for people to say I'm a member of the community but I'm not defined by those initials LGBTQ I am defining what those initials mean to me rather than have those initials define me I'm defining what those initials mean to me And there's as many ways of expressing that as there are people on this planet. People who have a preconceived notion of what those letters represent are naive, not as well informed. And people that come to me and say, I'm gay. No, you're John Doe, who is defining what it means to be gay. Don't be defined by initials. Be defined by who you are. And I'll say one more thing. A a good lesson was a professor once asked me, or asked the class, not just me, define the attributes of a man. And people were saying aggressive, responsible, non-emotive. And then the professor said, describe the attributes of a good man. And people were saying sensitive, Mm -hmm. generous, and I think the same thing relates to the, to the LGBTQ community is that the outside world has preconceived notions. When you get into the world and see what it really represents and who you are, define yourself by who you are, not what those initials have come to represent for some people who are ignorant or some people who believe that it's just one way or the other. Oh you're gay or you're not. No, it's like, who are you as a person who happens to identify as being a member of the community? You're identifying the way you want to be part of the community. And that's great. That's great. We don't want a monolithic conformity. That's what we're all about is Mm non-conformity and pushing the boundaries, pushing limits Mm -hmm. and being proud to do it. And expanding your keep other, even other people's viewpoints of what it means to be um, living in this community. And again, the community doesn't define you. We define the community. 
as individuals, we all define the community in hundreds of ways. That's such an important distinction. And I think, you know, a danger anytime that you want to put anybody in a box, of course. And and I think that that's so tempting and such a such a, a sin to reuse the the phrase of our dominant culture that is uh that wants to have some kind of some kind of wrapping up and a clean understanding of this is what LGBTQ means. This is what it looks like. And then you get, you know, the ripple effects maybe of straight acting or uh or you know, an idea of what gay looks like or what queer looks like and, or sounds like, or acts like. And, and that, uh, is, seems to be completely created from people outside of the community. Um, but I wonder if that also infiltrates the community itself. For sure. Mm -hmm. For sure. I I don't want my friends to think uh, the same banker walks up Ninth Avenue and past the restaurants on Ninth Ninth Avenue that are predominantly gay. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh my God, the carrying on and, and all of this, I, I never want to be associated with that. Mm-hmm. Well, A, what's wrong with it? And B, um, that doesn't define you, but you're gay. You're as gay as they are. I hate to tell you, they're not more gay. You're not <laughs> less gay. You're mm-hmm. different. Mm-hmm. And if you don't want to be hooting and hollering and wearing feather boas, that's okay. And those <laughs> people that do, that's okay. Yeah. Like there's many different kinds of gender and sexual expression that go beyond what you might be comfortable with, but it doesn't mean it's not valid. It doesn't yeah. mean you're a good gay. You know, he even mm-hmm. says, I'm not a good gay like that. I can't do that. <laughs> uh, and he believes there is good gay you know really hardcore gay he he says it as hardcore they're hardcore gay Mm. okay (laughs) uh which is an interesting you know i guess what he means is stereotypical it is funny yeah and but of course it's it's like that is once again another reminder that we're all human and we and and we want to put boxes around things and we want to understand them. And especially, um, to, we just lack little room. We just lack room for nuance, it seems, and anything that is outside of, of us. And, and even in our, within ourselves, we don't want to contain multitudes. We want to understand, we want to fit in, we want to belong. And so, yeah, I'm just really appreciative of the way that you're defining, you know, this is a, this is so many individuals. We have to understand it in that way. We have to understand um, identity in that way. Just as as anyone would want to be understood as an individual with a unique experience. Um, I think that that is such an important thing for us to understand, everyone to understand. Yeah, a positive identity is healthy self-expression. And there are millions upon millions of ways of expressing yourself. Mm-hmm. And anybody that says he acts gay 
or what really troubles me is when I go out, do you think he's gay or he acts gay? I really, I understand what they're saying and they're looking for a stereotype, mm -hmm. but stereotypes are there because they represent an amalgamation of many, 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 many different types of people. Mm -hmm. There is not one person who fits that stereotype completely. Mm -hmm. So when people say to me, well, what does it mean to be gay? It means to be yourself mm -hmm. and be happy with it. Mm -hmm. That's what being gay means. Not being fearful of who you are, being content with who you are, knowing who you are, knowing how other people might perceive you. And, and, and if it hurts you, rebel against it and always keep being who you are and not being ashamed of it. To me, that is what being gay is. How I express that, I'm part of a community I love. I, you know, am in relationships with men. I identify emotionally because I'm not as fearful of showing my emotion as the stereotypical straight man, which doesn't exist either. But mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. there's a myriad of ways of being gay. And nobody yeah. should be afraid of it because yeah. it means so many different things. I'm curious. There there seems to be, you know, going back to talking about the coming out process for somebody, um, the redefining of expectations or of of identity and that it seems to be such a crucial part of embracing one's identity as LGBTQ and whatever they identify within that, it just feels like there's a lot of burden on the individual to, to both come out, to get ready for different perceptions of them, you know, and goes without saying the threatened violence and the complete politicized hate and threats against, against this community, but also to then redefine what it means, what these preconceived notions around this community are to to have to prove oneself as as a human who identifies in this way and maybe you know smash all of these preconceived notions and um, preconceived notions about this identity. What can we be doing better, like as a society? I know this is a huge question to end you with, but I'm I'm just curious your thoughts on this because does does it feel like that from your perspective that this is we're putting all the burden on the individual and on the community instead of putting any onus on our society at large? Yeah, and what I want to say about coming out is, listen, I'm aware that situations are different and you have to be in an environment in which you feel safe mm -hmm. and which you are aware of and as members of the community unfortunately we have to be aware of our surroundings who we're with at all times hopefully the day will come when that's not so so is it a larger societal problem yes for sure mm -hmm. and that's why these little nuanced things and it's not so nuanced joe biden correcting what trump did against transsexual community that they're welcomed 
And, and that little thing that the president of the United States supports the community is such a major societal factor because he holds the bully pulpit and he says, there's nothing wrong with it. And then people will start feeling, oh, the president doesn't feel like there's anything. There's, first of all, there's nothing wrong. But yes, there is a larger societal problem and you have to be aware that these things exist outside of yourself and that you must be aware and cautious. But to the best of your ability, you can still celebrate who you are. I think the damaging part of it is when you're in New York and you're working in a bank. Nobody's going to lynch you in a bank. Nobody's going to nail you to the, you know, to the wooden fence like Matthew Shepard out in, you know, you're working in a community that is informed take risks as long as you're safe. Don't go, you know, to some cowboy bar in the middle of nowhere. You should be able to. I'm not saying you don't have a right to, but you must be aware. And coming out is difficult because of those fears. And I'm not naive to the fact that we all don't live in New York or California or Chicago or a major metro area where people seem to be a little bit more informed and exposed and less ignorant. But in places where you are able to be who you are, and there's no fear of retribution, general, you will always have outliers. Where one night I was walking up Eighth Avenue and a car came past and they were shouting all these slurs. And I was really a little bit fearful that they were going to jump out because I was alone and they didn't. But you have to be aware. It's unfortunate. What can we be doing better in? in the mental health care space? What does, what does LGBTQIA plus affirming mental health care look like? It's welcoming, easy access, non-judgmental, understanding, affirming what your life experience has been like, and challenging sometimes when you've lived through things that have damaged you. And being able to speak about it, providing an environment in which people can heal from past abuses, to understand that their sexual identity doesn't and gender identity doesn't define them. It's only part defining. It doesn't define their entirety. To make people feel inclusive. When back in the 80s, you know, well, we're part of a community. Yeah, we're part of a community. But so what What did that mean? It really didn't mean much until they galvanated and formed ACT UP and GMHC and all of that. So to believe and to foster this sense of community, celebrate it in, in every way possible. That's what gay affirming therapy looks like to me, to challenge people's cognitions about themselves, their false cognitions about themselves to get them to see the beauty of who they are. Rather than what's wrong, there's nothing, as I said, there's nothing wrong with many of the people I see other than what they've been told about themselves. That's what gay affirming therapy is to me. It's affirming and it's welcoming, non-judgmental. We're so thankful that you are a provider and that you're the one seeing these clients who you're giving them that space and giving them that safe space to 
not only be who they are, but to love who they are and to redefine what that means and to, to heal. We're so, so thankful for the work that you do and for spending time with us today talking about it. Thank you so much. It's been my privilege. Thank you. This episode was produced by Dave Emmert. Self Studies is a podcast by Alma, a company dedicated to simplifying access to high quality in network mental health care for both consumers and clinicians. To learn more, visit helloalma.com.